In this episode of the Flick Lab International Film Podcast, the two Finnish hosts Karri and Henrik will discuss the movies they watched recently, ranging from Finnish horror to Japanese art house to American fantasy series. We've been watching some amazing films and we can't wait to recommend them to you. And you will certainly be shocked by the absolute stinker of horror movies on the list as well. We'll be right back after this intro. Welcome to the Flick Lab, part two of our catch-up episodes. So far, I still a film on the list here. Is that your Finnish accent kicking in, Henrik? <laughs> it's my will the list never end accent kicking in. I guess we have a lot, a lot of recommendations and grievances for all of you. So enjoy! This will be the last one of our recommendations and grievances or the catch-up. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, at least for now. At least for now. Yeah. But this is the Flick Lab. We're going to talk about films here. We focus on international film and we like to deep dive into films from around the world and bringing special guests or experts from any given field related to this. So we've had some pretty exciting guests from the industry and hope to continue in that vein. I'm Gary. I am a media assistant, currently working IT in the Philippines, and Henrik prefers to stay in our lovely home country and enjoy the Jack Daniels and the reindeers. He is Henrik from the Santa Claus land of Finland, studying Master of Artsiness at the University of Lapland. Uh We are here to get you going to our next recommendations and grievances. Let's go. Yeah, to kick it off, I checked out the blind man who did not want to see Titanic, and I'm opening my to be uh, once again international here. I'm opening my my not U.S. film streak with with you know a Finnish feature film. This one from 2021. It's from Teemu Nikki, a quite well regarded Finnish director, and this is a movie that. I have really, like, just hold on seeing. I've, I've pushed back the the moment when I watched this for quite some time. I remember when, when the film came out and everybody was like, oh my god, you have to see this movie. And I looked at the title and I was, oh my god, this is going to be overly smutty, dramatic drama, overly, like, you know... Uh, Kind of a fake artistry. Mm. I was like, I don't want to see this. Then I checked out the synopsis, which is really simple. It goes on like the, the blind man wants to travel to, to, to meet his girlfriend face to face. And in order to do that, he has to ask help from strangers. What could go wrong? And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be something overly smutty. They think they are going to be funny, but they ain't. Christ, I don't want to see this one. Yeah, so I finally checked it out. And... Okay. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, my apologies to Teemu Oh. Like, 
you know, I'm I'm willing to say con- confess openly when I'm wrong. Oh boy, was I wrong here? It's a really good film. Oh. Christ, I never actually thought it would be this this good. It it's nothing that I expected it to be. No, in fact, it's it's a slow burn thriller of you know of the all goddamn things. It's a really simple story, but oh boy, do they they ride some quality out of that simple premise and simple story. It uses kind of a really, really shallow depth of field where the camera is like extremely, the, the focus is extremely close to the camera's lens. Ah, uh, okay, so it, it's it's kind of like, what, what's the Chinese film that we checked again? An elephant sitting still. Even more extreme. Even more extreme. And they use that, the effect to, to create, to, to kind of visually... Show you or symbolize the the kind of the, the perspective and experience of, of a blind person. And it works pretty well. Like it actually creates honest to God tension here. Because you you kinda hear the, the, the noises around in, in the scenes, but you don't see anything except these shadow people in the back and you don't know who that person is and wh- what's going on and where you even are. It's it's really effective. It's it's really interesting way to shoot a film. Once the, the main obstacle arises in this film, which takes some time to happen, but once it happens, I really like the main character who... Like, like you, you know how, how in films, characters quite often... The, the, the movies and the, the narrative and the dramatic tension of the film kind of depends on the, the characters being kind of dumbasses. Mm. They have to do stupid decisions and stupid mistakes just so that, you know, the, the tension can build up. But in here, actually, you don't get that. There are no, like, direct dumb asses here. Drama and romance is here. Perhaps a bit comedy, but there is a strong thriller element that shows up. From my end, you know, a glowing recommendation for... The blind man who did not want to see Titanic, and apologies to, to Teemu Nikki and the rest of the production crew. I was a jackass who made assumptions that, you know, turn out to be completely wrong. While we're at this wagon, do you want to get into hatching? Oh, yeah, let's go. Uh, did you see it too? I did, I did. It was a pretty decent film. Uh, I think it though checked all the horror cliches that you're you're you should be expecting from a horror film i guess there are some unlike in the film that you were just describing this has dumbass characters and very stereotypical characters it has some less than stellar acting at places mainly looking at you child actors but what you're gonna do i thought it was an interesting concept the whole most interesting thing about the whole film is is the is the is the antagonist obviously yeah and then everything kind of rotates around it there isn't that much that is happening in the film per se we're just all waiting mm-hmm. for what's going to happen with the monster i i thought it was just quite quite not there with the, with the story but i was digging kind of the originality of the of the monster in a way I, although the monster is also pulled into the film by the stupid decisions of the of the character which do not make any goddamn sense or are not explained in any yeah. way 
but I guess these uh, main characters of the films always come under or go into some kind of a goddamn trance where they, they don't explain to the audience why this character is doing these stupid decisions. Something is just pulling them into this to this thing that they know is wrong and they shouldn't be doing it, but they do it anyway, and then all hell breaks loose. Doesn't hold up in all of its elements. No recommendation from me. But, you know, if you're curious to see some Finnish horror, why not? How about you? I'm on the same boat with you. Uh, Hatching okay. is, is a film that... It's one of the few films that I managed to check out when I was... Working in the, the documentary camera crew for the Midnight Sun Film Festival last summer. Every few years, Finns make a horror film. And all Finland gets behind that movie and is so certain that this time, you know, we are going to break it into the horror market. This time it was Hatching's turn. Oh my god, we finally cracked horror films. The movie. Well, it looks like it's garnering quite a bit of international attention, but... Um, it, yeah. it is, it is, and I can't understand why. Mm. Because, like you, I, I feel it's okay, but I don't, I, I don't understand what all the praise is about. The story itself relies on some, some pretty tried-and-true symbolism... Like you have the influencer family, it's it's pretty on the sur- uh, on the surface. There is extreme expectations, and everybody is just miserable. It's also in in the film's poster that every the whole family has the masks, and the little girl's mask is cracked in two because you know she has two sides because something's bubbling. She's hatching some feelings. Do you do you get what I fucking mean? And the film starts with you know the mom killing the bird, like like the pahan on the lean to the old finish saying you know, <laughs> a it's a really simple little horror story, nothing wrong with that, but I kind of felt that visually it was constantly looking for itself. Like it was hard to find its visual identity. You have average house, you have average school gymnasium, but then you have like the mom's new boyfriend's home, which is this really creepy old horror movie giant ass building which screams horror movie set. Or when when she's visiting her friend at the hospital, it's it's this really white, abandoned hospital corridor that she has to walk in, reminiscing strongly old 80s Italian horror films. And nothing wrong with that, but it felt really weird when you have the modern traditional setups, and then you have something really, like, over the top. And I was kind of like, like, just like, like, peak one here movie please and go like full on mm. if you wanna do you know the, the the Italian style by all means do it just just go further into it use Dario Argento strong greens and dark blues and fucking red, deep reds don't you know go back and forth it's okay I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it's like Sona before this one. Sona was okay, Rare Sports, yeah, it's it's really okay, Dark Floors was utter dog shit. This one is okay, and uh, like you, uh, yeah, sorry everyone, because I most likely know people from the production, but no recommendation. It's a good attempt, but 
it it just somehow it, it didn't go it it didn't get to the final station for me. All right, well, keeping up with the Finnish stuff, there's one more to go from my side, and that is Lapland Odyssey, Napapirin Sankarit. Ooh, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I personally know one assistant from the, from this film, so Antero Terve Vaan, and have no idea what's going on with that guy lately, but I can't imagine you would be still in this business, but if so, then... Good for you. Anyway, Napapirin Sankarit. Well, it's a it's a Finnish film directed by Dome Karogoski, one of our big ones. It's about a couple, and the wife is tired of the husband's BS, so he has to finally be worthy of his word and go buy a digital TV receiver or prepare for a divorce. So, of course, nothing goes according to plan, and there's a big comedic adventure ahead of this main character. I still think it's a pretty solid Finnish comedy. I tend to show this to all the foreigners who want to know more about Finland <laughs> and Rovaniemi. It's very ed- very educational, Henrik. I think it's 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 good at least to to show the, your your friends to get the idea how it looks like up there in the north, you know, get the some caricaturic ideas about Finnish and Russian relations. And things like that, but I just have pretty decent fun every time I watch this film. I haven't seen any of the sequels yet, and I'm not sure if that's something worthy of my time. But uh, yeah, a recommendation. Yeah, to keep up with with you know Finnish films from from my list also. Another film that I checked out, I managed to see at Midnight Sun was Girl Picture. In Finnish, which was another Finnish hot ticket film. Everybody was on my back about how I have to see this one. And, well, everybody was right. I really had to see it. It's uh, actually, I actually have to finally say, yeah, with this one, the hype was was true. Mm -hmm. Really strong performances from from all the main uh, trio of girls. They they somehow just managed to win my my old grumpy heart, which is just like I don't like anybody. Somehow they just won me over. It's a coming of age drama. It takes place on on a you know during a short time period when they go through you know love and heartbreak and sexual awakenings, and it's really well made. It manages to portray. A young girl's life in a way that grumpy guy like me can actually can really believe that hey perhaps that is what girls actually are going through it does have some some of that that movie bullshit there there's it also plays that gimmick where like one of them one of the girls is is practicing to be a figure skater so of course they go into an abandoned parking lot at night time, they are under the, the light of a street light, and, and the figure skater girl is showing her moves there on the parking lot. It, it, it has those type of moments. So if you are like like deadly allergic to it, you know, be warned. But overall, overall, it was a really good film. Hmm. Okay. And I wholeheartedly recommend it. Okay, I have to find it into my hands. I recently 
to change gears, I watched uh, a Lynch Cronenberg-esque surreal thriller from Japan that's called A Snake of June from 2002. It's a film from Shinya Tsukamoto and he's known for this kind of surreal cinema and there's a stalker who is extorting a lady with uh, some sexy pose pictures that he has taken of her and at the same time there's this relationship going on with uh, her husband that has somehow become asexual and there's very little romance if any going on in the relationship and then not only this extortion and the weird relationship with the husband there's also a case of cancer in the movie and this kind of brings these two characters together in unexpected ways and and uh, i would say that the last third of the movie goes completely out of control and but i it seems that you know this is one of those artsy fartsy films that people seem to love out there all of you you know artsy hounds out there guess you're gonna have a field day with this shit. Lady also has some kind of a Stockholm Syndrome going on, or you could say that it's something like that. From one scene to the next, it's like, is this a dream? Oh, this might be the dream. Or, uh, wait, it's maybe this part that is the dream. And so it's just shuffling back and forth, so it's kind of up to you what the hell is going on. Well, someone more into this kind of shit would probably say that this film smartly um, exposes the sexuality in us as kind of a flexible and circumstantial desire. It's, 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 it can change according to the situation and that love conquers all, including cancer cells. Too weird for me, no recommendation. Okay, talking about Lynchian and weird, I actually did check out something from Lynch himself. Hmm. It's a 2017 short film, What Did Jack Do? Question mark. Well, what did he do? Well, apparently... Jack shit? He, he, he killed someone. It's a 17-minute it's a short film, shot in, in black and white, and it has that old-timey film noir 30s kind of a crane effect going on it. Really simple premise. Uh, David Lynch plays a plays a cop who meets a monkey at uh, at the train depot cafeteria and st- strikes a conversation with the monkey. And it turns out that it's an interrogation. There's been a murder, and Lynch is trying to solve who killed killed who and why. It's a it's a weird experience, kind of. Like, like you have you have David Lynch and you have have a monkey that has a deep faked human mouth for him, most likely Lynch's own mouth, and it's just like those two having back and forth in this, like like in in a dialogue that consists mostly from old film noir dialogue tropes and cliches, and they they get into this kind of a quotathon where they are both quoting film noir cliche dialogue back and forth it it at times it feels like like david Lynch just wrote the script like in in a way that he he just like like used one of those ai tools and had it had it to <laughs> kind of just just generate film noir's language dialogue but it somehow stays together well enough that I don't believe that that was the case. It's it, it, it's a movie where where the dialogue is constantly teetering on the verge of p- 
becoming absolute hogwash, but somehow, magically, miraculously, it still manages to keep it together, and not not just be cohesive, but also be understandable. And it's like it's it's really really weird and extremely funny to follow David Lynch interrogating a goddamn monkey and being like, I know why the chicken crossed the road. And and have, having having a like like Reebok, Reebok's like you would just throw an animal to the to the roof just to see see the look on its face. So stuff like that. It's like unbelievably funny. It was one of the, the <laughs> funniest things I've seen for quite some time. And yeah, wholeheartedly recommendation for what did Jack do? It's it's only seventeen minutes, barely no time at all, and it's on Netflix of all places. All right, well, I have a Don't Look Now from 1973. Uh, the synopsis is something like there's a married couple grieving the death of a young daughter, maybe a couple of years ago, and the couple is now in Venice, and they find two elderly sisters there, Italian, of course, so very smart and mystical. And one of them is a psychic, and she's like a like a blind psychic, and she brings a warning to the couple from beyond. So it's an interesting experiment, if nothing else. There's some interesting concepts, but it it is a quite the meandering piece and ultimately unsatisfying, in my opinion. Also, have to give a trigger warning for people who are allergic to the 70s uh, beep and tucker and zoom-ins. But yeah, so, so spoiler spoilers, in the first couple of minutes... In the film, there's uh, the daughter of the, the, the parents, and she drowns in a river. Then, when the couple is in Venice, they indeed encounter this psychic and her sidekick. And the film is kind of alluding to the direction that there is something evil about the, these two elderly women, and that the kind of a prophecy that they are giving to the couple, warning the guy that he's, something bad is going to happen to the guy. And... Um, well, he doesn't listen because he's like, what is this hocus-pocus bullshit? I don't believe this. The woman of the relationship is more lenient towards these these theories and she feels really enlightened by the things that the blind psychic is saying and the, uh, you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for the entire movie, how it's going to end. And the ending is going to be a bit of a weird ending. Maybe you can find some symbolism that I was missing there. We don't realize that the psychic connection to some scenes until kind of later and what it actually means. So, spooky, spooky. Yeah, I guess you could watch it, but, uh, yeah, like, kind of, eh, can't really recommend it either. It's there on, on the, you know, middle parts. Should I recommend or not to recommend? I lean towards no. Have you seen it, by the way? I... Have I? I have a DVD, but I I've checked it out like exactly once. If I remember correctly, I couldn't quite make out what I felt about it back then. Exactly. Yeah. And I do recognize your points with it and your grievances with it because I kind of stru- uh, struggled with the same things. Yeah. I just have to check it someday. Check it out for the second time, but I don't know when I'm gonna get to it. I don't even know my, where my DVD is at the moment. Nobody knows where the DVDs are, man. Uh-huh. 
Okay, on my end, the next one will be another double feature. It's the guilty times two. So I, I I checked out the 2018 Danish thriller film The Guilty. Basically, it it's one of those like like the film buried, where the whole thing is that it's set up on this really small location, and you never leave the location. In here, it's an emergency call center. We focus on policeman who is going to a trial for. Something he has done. It's not explained at first what what is all about, but apparently he has landed some policeman trouble. And while he's waiting for the trial and waiting to see how that plans out, his uh, supervisors have put him into the emergency call center desk work. They haven't kicked him out, but they have kind of pushed him in the wayside just to wait out how how the 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 trial is is gonna play down and then see what to do with him. And he's really like like not having it being a miserable co-worker for the for the other people at the co-desk. And then one night he just like randomly picks this emergency call which comes from a panicked young lady and it seems that it's a kidnap situation. And the rest of the f- film is just like him at the call center in front of his desk, trying to solve the situation and help the lady get out of out of the kidnap situation with just using his phone. And it was a really good film. I really liked it. It it stays intense throughout the thing. The, the main character here, Asger Holm, played by Jacob Sedergren, who does a really good job with a role that's not an easy one to pull off. It's kind of like Ryan Reynolds in Buried. There are twists and turns and dark revelations into things. Things are not what how they seem at first. And there's, there's a whole lot of things. And I absolutely recommend The Guilty. And then, because I'm a glutton for punishment, and a fucking idiot, <laughs> and because it was on Netflix, and it did have Jake Gyllenhaal in it, I also watched the, the American remake from 2021 called Also the Guilty. It wasn't a train wreck. Like, it's an okay thriller on its own right, but it's noticeably weaker than the Danish original. Surprise, surprise. And it's it's kind of like, like nobody is surprised that, you know, once again the remake is, is the lesser of the two, but... It does take some some interesting mistakes, in my opinion. The first one is, at times, the cinematography. Like, you have Jake Gyllenhaal here, who can pull off strong performances, and who can pull off emotion with his face when he really wants to. But at times, you have hugely emotional scenes, and the camera is not showing Gyllenhaal's face. It's... It also has some really bad, like, or not bad, but in-your-face symbolism. Like, like, just like in the original, Chilean House character also is waiting for the trial. There's a media uh, circus going on around what he allegedly has has done, that's something that he has done. And at the same time, you know, it's it's situated, was it in California or where, it, where the remake takes place? But anyways, there's a huge wildfire going on. You know, because because Chilenhaal is in purgatory, like his mm. character is in purgatory, do you get it? He has to use an asthma inhaler in order to, at times, to open his lungs, you know, 
Do you get it? Did you get it? Like like he's in burglary, he's something in chest, fucking smart. Ten out of ten, I did art here. Also, the the film kind of a surprisingly pussyfoots around Chillenhaus character at times. This is a kinder examination of the main cop guy than than what was the Danish original. And the really like not not a bad film on its own right. But a definite disappointment when you compare it to the original one. So, you know, Guilty 2018, the Danish one. Yeah, yeah, a standout recommendation. The Netflix remake. Just, just skip it. <laughs> but following on that, a film completely unrelated to the aforementioned. But it's Don't Look Up from 2021. <laughs> I don't know if you watched it in, on Netflix. It's the Leonardo uh, DiCaprio film where there are like two astronomers that have to go on a, like a media tour to warn humankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. It's kind of a science fiction-y satirical piece satirizing the just humanity's nonchalant approach to impending uh, doom on planet Earth, the profit over ecological equilibrium and idiocracy over science, politics and bottom line over logic, all these kind of things. So there's an asteroid on the way to destroy Earth. They send humanity's best hope, Leo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, to investigate. And everyone seems to be bored to hear about this cataclysmic doom. And the president thinks there's more important things to worry about, such as the ratings and elections. So they're just laughed off. It might be somewhat funny with this concept. That's why I started watching it in the first place. Might be, but it's written so terribly that I think no one's laughing. It's played so over the top that it's like the movie is begging for us to laugh with it, but I think there's really nothing to laugh about. It's it's so base level this humor that it's bringing it's it's all the jokes that you've already heard, the easiest jokes that you can pull off the subject matter. It goes from where the fence is at its lowest, as we say in Finland, Missaito Matalin. So it's just awkward and kind of frankly boring to watch. Interesting idea, boring execution. It's kind of like they got some writers who didn't care about the subject matter but wrote it anyway. Yeah, don't don't check it out. But to tell you about something that you should, I don't know if you can check it out. To, and to keep it with, with, you know, Finnish films, I watched 2019 Il Ultimo Silencio, which is a Finnish amateur production, zero-budget action Sherlock from Team Splatenstein, which has made masterpieces like Splatenstein. A Splatenstein 2000 and was there a Splatenstein death camp? Il Ultimo Silencio 2019. Uh, it's a film from 2008-2009. It's a post-apocalyptic action feature revenge tale. There's a cop who in 2009 fails to prevent a launch of a nuclear weapon in, in Finland. The bad guys torture him. He he loses his ability to speak. He loses his eye, so he's he's half blind. He's mute, but he survives the ordeal by the magic of the blood armor, essentially. 
So come one ten years later in post-apocalyptic Finland, which just looks like perfectly fine Finnish forest and camping grounds, because you know locations cost money and these guys don't have it. But he <laughs> he gets uh, our main character going by now by the name of Silence gets a hint that his his old tormentor, the terrorist Loco, has survived the nuclear apocalypse and decides to go on and take his revenge. And that's basically the whole story there. It's a one man traveling throughout the post-nuclear Finnish woods. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's fucking birds and stuff. <laughs> Nobody died in that goddamn apocalypse. But yeah, so, so what a horrific event. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was thinking, but, with, with what kind of a budget did they make the post-apocalyptic? Well, uh, mo- most likely one can of pea soup. <laughs> but but yeah, anyways, he he has to fight off like like post-apocalyptic raiders and shit like that in order to face Loco one more time and get his sweet ass revenge. It's cheap. It's amateuristic. It's it's like once again, this is, belongs to that Finnish amateur underground stuff indie movies that I I like to check it out. At times, it's not exactly the jackpot that many people perceive it to be. This was for the longest time. This was Tim Splatenstein's magnum magnum opus, and yeah, perhaps it's better than the previous films. But at the same time, it, in my opinion, it could have used more plot. It could have been better. Um, but I I do recommend it. Just. Just not necessarily as good as everybody else says, and in my opinion, also it's it's one of those those lukewarm recommendations. If you manage to find yourself a copy, the DVD these days is is pretty rare. But if you find it, you know by all means check it out. If you can't, you know locate yourself the movie, well no worries, no worries. It it was not like unmissable viewing experience. All right. Well, sounds like we better get our legs firmly on the ground then with some Hirokazu Koreeda. And we have discussed the guy before in this podcast. Well, if you know Hirokazu Koreeda, you know what to expect about Still Walking from 2008. Like it's a slow-moving, artsy-dartsy film, just captures beautiful family moments, not starving children this time. First, you look at these characters, you find yourself not really giving a damn about the characters they you kind of after a while you kind of give in to the slow pace and nothing happening and then you start to sort of like the characters it's a snapshot in time there's just a family spending time with the wife's grandparents so they go to the countryside it's like it's a bit like the summer at grandpa's uh, vibes for me a little livelier perhaps you know dialogue wise there's a lot going on all the time which is not the case with the grandpa. But the family is spending time with the wife's grandparents, and it's about family dynamics, generational gaps, talking behind your back, as you do in a family unit. There's one grumpy grandfather who probably shouldn't still be walking from listening to his grumpiness for two hours. But at the end of the film, the grandfather becomes a little more lenient, and it seems like very naturalized acting in a way that Koreeda probably again 
was shooting eight hours of footage again, just in an effort to kind of capture people together after they've gotten chilled up and have almost forgotten the existence of, of the camera in the surroundings. But yeah, Goraeda is great at this kind of stuff that he does, capturing some really lovely moments, family moments, family dynamics, funny moments that feel really kind of pure and natural, honest. And just looking at the kids running around the house, it doesn't seem like they're even aware of the, the camera. It just feels so natural. So, yeah, even though there's not really much going on there, it's like a meditation piece. Just follow one family, what's happening in their dynamics. And and love it or hate it, that's uh, Hirokazu Koraeda for you. And like the first half, I didn't know what to think. I, I was quite bored, to be frank, but... Then it kind of won over me as you start to get more closer with the, all the characters. But it's not the thing that you would pop on every evening. But uh, I'll give you a careful recommendation and, and beautiful cinematography as well. Okay, to cap off the Finnish films from my list, this is the last Finnish movie I'm gonna name tonight. I promise I checked out 2039. Il Ultimo Silencio, which I, I don't know what the budget was, but it most definitely was not enough for the guys to find a new title. <laughs> surprise, surprise, it's a sequel to 2019. Uh, happens now, 10 years after the 2019. Once again, we continue in, in, in post-apocalyptic Finland. So uh, after following 2019's release, Team Splatenstein quit as a as a group. Some of them hopefully got jobs. Someone perhaps even saw a tits live. Perhaps the coolest guy even managed to score some sex. Who knows? But like 15 years after doing jack shit, the team all of a sudden got back together and they made a sequel to 2019. Uh, I've heard some criticism that some people feel that 2039 is the weaker of the two Il Ultima Silencios. And I have to absolutely disagree with that opinion. God, I, I'm so happy that, that Team Splatenstein came together. At least for one last hurrah, if this is the last one we are going to hear about them. I... This is, this is like, this is my jam, absolutely. Silence and, and his, his friend Gas Chambers still work as bounty hunters, now they also take up, take up a gig as, a, as detectives, and the first case that lands on their desk is the, the local police. Force hires them to investigate a serial murder killing spree happening in the post-apocalyptic Finland, so the free days of, of free anarchy are behind and now things like police force tries to emerge from the ashes. So they start to, to you know, look into into all, all these serial murders. Part of the problem that people have with this film is that they feel like it has two halves. And that critique actually holds water. Yes, it, it is split in two, really, narrative-wise. But I do think that it's not actually a bad thing. I also do think that the humor is is better in 2039. There are some some nice like language quips that I like. The effects are 
better. This this perhaps has the best Team Splatterstein effects I've seen. The biggest thing here is that the unlike the, the previous, the video camera technology that you could afford and get your hands back in the day was what it was. Meaning that the image quality was really low mostly on, on Finnish amateur films. And now in 2039, the team has managed to get their hands on something like, you know, Blackmagic Cinema 4K cameras and, and gear like that. So all of a sudden you have a Finnish amateur zero-budget movie that has like high definition and crystal clear image. I, I feel that the, the script is better, the jokes are better, the cinematography is better. Somebody has actually like learned how to, to combine a shot and there is some really cool shots. It also is a case, if, if you, like, it's it's a sale on, on Blu-ray, if you buy it, you also get the 2019 as an extra feature on, on the disc, so it's like two films for the price of one. So yeah, you know, wholehearted recommendation for 2039, Il Ultimo Silencio. Of course, it you have to kind of be able to stomach the all the teeth jokes and and sex jokes and all the the, the the weirdness that goes into Finnish underground movies. But if you can actually, you know, be okay with all of that, you know, I think it's great action ride. So you know, guys, uh, you were missed, and it's great to have you back. And thank you, thank you all for for the movie. Okay. All right, changing gears again. The Man from Nowhere, South Korean film, Ajaxi, 2010 film. That it, it's it's one of the films that is responsible, I would say, for the big Korea boom, at least in the cinema circles. There is this quiet pawn shopkeeper who has a violent past, and he decides to start. Uh, protecting this this young girl there's uh the girl's mother who experiences some kind of gruesome fate but you know this random man from nowhere is now determined to take care of this little girl because they kind of bond in the first moments of the film yeah it's it's kind of john wick-esque in his action i guess <laughs> a lot of martial arts a lot of bloody shots fast-paced action improbable escapes improbable you know survival stories it's kind of fun it's kind of fun but i think it gets a little long in the tooth the more you get near the end i get a little exhausted with all the crazy ass action but um yeah i think it's something that you should be aware of if you're interested in the kind of a roots where all this south korea mania began from in the film circles and pretty solid movie I think it's nothing that groundbreaking like many critics might say, but critics are what we are, and uh, I will give it uh, like a okay recommendation. Good entertainment for a while. Don't expect anything mind-blowing. To clean everybody's palace here, I checked out The Menu, the 2022 thriller from Mark Myloid. And it's an ensemble cast, small, tight, closed-location thriller film. Ray Fiennes plays this this high-class, like, Gordon Ramsay-esque, like, celebrity chef who has his own own restaurant on this remote island. You have to take a boat, boat ride to reach the island. 
and people are traveling there paying enormous amounts of money to have the fine dining experience at Fines' restaurant and now an ensemble cast of guests arrive at the the island, it pretty soon turns out that there's something wrong with with the restaurant. And it was... Yeah, it was perfectly okay. I, I really liked it. It has surprisingly a lot of humor, but all of that humor comes with quite a lot of bite. It's a film that pokes harsh fun of of the Gordon Ramses of the world and even calls them out on their bullshit. Also calls out the whole social ecosystem surrounding these guys. Where they can be as abusive and and, and as pre- brazen as they are, simply you know because they are they are the genius, they are the artists. So everything gets gets you know explained away by the fact that they are you know supposed to be something great, and and the art just takes its toll. And the menu comes from the point of view that that is absolute bullshit spilled down by absolute cretins. And you just, just like, you should just look at Kurt Ramsey and call him out on his bullshit. It's surprisingly funny, also, on, on its take. Uh, at times, it can get a bit furiating. Unlike with the with, uh, blind man who did not want to see Titanic, in this film you have a relative, quite a lot of dumbasses. That the film does this, the story does this on purpose. It, it it the character dumbasses are dumbasses because the film wants to point out that yeah these people who give this endorsement to, to Gordon Ramsay's and just you know give okay to all the bullshit that goes on in in hell's kitchen and kitchen nightmares it's basically those people are dumbasses but yeah great performances could have been perhaps more suspenseful but. But it's more of a it's more of a parody. It's more of a black comedy. It, it doesn't make any like new observations, but it makes good calls based upon those observations. But it's kind of nice to have a film that actually says that hey, you know, you most likely you know, please remember this is the type of thing that goes on in the kitchen, kitchens, and it's absolute bullshit. So yeah, from my end, recommendation to the menu. Not a mind-blowing film, but a good film. Okay. I'm usually up for anything that has Ray Fiennes, so I might check it later. Yeah, and Ray Fiennes, once again, the man does not disappoint. Uh, amongst the greatness, Ray Fiennes is like the shining diamond here. All right. So next, uh, Montreal-born director Christian Duguay, or however you pronounce that, uh, who directed... A Back of Marbles in 2017, and something similar to French in French. So, 2017 French drama film, and it's based on the autobiographical novel A Back of Marbles, which has been put into film earlier as well, in 1975. And uh, this 2017 film got some awards around the world. and uh, Pretty well, you know, lauded and liked film it's it's about basically these two kids during world war ii two young jewish brothers who try to make their escape from the nazi zone pretty a stellar child performances as well and i found it just overall 
a really interesting film. It shows you the you know the, the the hazards involved in traveling when you know escaping from the baddies. The feeling of no home, where is home? You get stuck into one place for a moment. I you hope that no one is realizing that you're there, and then then you're always kind of on the run. You don't know where to stabilize your life. So in one minute it can go all into shambles. An emotional film. Extremely well made, and recommendation. And on my end, life getting going into shambles. I jump into my second TV show that I checked out. It's Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club. His last show that he made to Netflix before before leaving it, Flanagan Netflix had very fruitful collaboration. Like I've I've been a fan of Flanagan ever since like his absentia and I haven't been like disappointed by Flanagan ever since except now that with with Midnight Club it's based on the youth the young adult horror book series by by Christopher Pike scary wise it's on the same category like something like are you afraid of the dark and I get what Flanagan was going on for here. It's basically it's it's half an anthology series and half an ongoing on-running mystery story. The, the gist here is that there's a there's a young girl, Ilonka, who is a teenager, and she hears that she has a thyroid cancer and she's gonna die. So. She signs up in in Brightcliff Hospice because she hopes that she will find a magical cure hidden inside the walls of the hospice. And in in the hospice there are also other teenagers. They have a secret club, the Midnight Club. They come together every night to night to tell each other horror stories. And that's the anthology aspect of the story. And then you have the long running thing. Can Ilonka find the cure? I like it. It's a it's a thematic continuation from Flanagan's previous series, The Midnight Mass, which was a heavy and deep contemplation on the theme of dying and what it means to die. What happens to us when we die? And The Midnight Club wants to continue from that. The, these kids facing and accepting death is the ongoing and on-running theme. And I get that that's the crux of, of, of your series, that's the focus of your series. You are not making a horror story here. It's not a horror series. But at the same time, I'm disappointed by the fact because the series opens with horror movie imagery. It pro- opens with a promise of of it being a horror story. It opens with a promise of it being a ghost story. And it's not just that Flanagan is a horror director who up until this point has done horror and has done ghost stories. It's not just that, like, I'm not demanding that Flanagan couldn't venture outside of the horror sphere. But Flanagan himself makes the conscious choice of opening his new series by promising you through text and through visuals that this will be a horror story. So then the idea that, oh, well, yeah, you know, as it turns out during the run of the 10 episodes, 
you you kind of figure out that oh you are not gonna get horror in this story that at first promised to be be horror and therefore I am disappointed by by the tonal shift here. Second big problem I had is the character of Ilonka, who is like this insufferable know it all and I absolutely hated her. Like Flanagan's blog post to me felt like Flanagan is still trying to make the argument to the audience that despite all of this, Ilonka is really enjoyable, really wholesome and a smart character. And I'm kind of happy actually that Netflix cancelled the series and we're never gonna get the second season because <laughs> God damn if that was the direction. Uh, speaking of TV series, The Sandman, this 2022 TV series that is gonna have a second season at some point. It's based on the comic bo- comic books written by uh, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, published by DC Comics. And let's just say that it's not my cup of Earl Grey, but artistically, I think enjoyable, kind of interesting, totally out there. Tom Sturridge does a stellar job as this kind of a whispering and stone-faced character, kind of a fantastical character who controls people's dreams, and if there's no Sandman, then, then, then they, the dream world and the real world are out of control and out of balance. And of course, there is someone who then is breaking that balance by locking up Sandman and all things start to go to hell. But yeah, then there's these arguments that maybe Sandman sh- shouldn't be there and maybe somebody else should be running the show of dreams, but uh, yeah, uh, you gotta go aboard the crazy train with this guy, this one. So if you're not aboard the crazy train, then you will not enjoy this one. Uh, this is something that my boyfriend wanted to watch, so I kind of joined in. As you know, that these kind of things, anything related to DC or Marvel, it's not really my cup of tea. But uh, if he will want to continue and watch the second season, then I will probably join. But otherwise. I won't. But every every episode of this show is kind of different and imaginative, if you're into that, and not really caring about the rules of the real world, because there's none to be found here, then yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, careful recommendation, let's say. Okay, uh, I'm not having seen the series, but knowing the comic books... If it's anything like the comic books, you can tell your boyfriend that he has a great taste when it comes to the material. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I will. I, I think you will love it. No doubt about that. It's well made. All right. So, of course, if we would have unlimited time, I would also tell you that I did watch Jurassic World Dominion, but we will discuss all of those later on, actually. Oh, right. joy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the Jurassic World Dominion is going to be our next target. I I remember strongly saying last time that I have no interest in checking out Dominion and if I will see it, I will only see it for the obligation towards this podcast and to to do the obligatory Jurassic World the next one episode. Yeah, let's see how that goes because dear listeners, if you haven't noticed there's some changes to the format once again and we're gonna 
pick a few topics that we're gonna talk around the film around the franchise for sure and we're gonna concentrate strictly on those that's gonna be like very matter-of-factly now the the analysis part and we're just gonna stick to certain topics and then after that we go to the whole review part we're just gonna be also the quickies and uh, we'll see how that goes i think it's gonna be on the long run a bit more interesting for our listeners but let's see yeah may also be that we end up kind of at like tightening the, the episode length in in the future even more so it makes shorter episodes where they which are not as rambly as perhaps the podcast has been mm. up until this point and perhaps we will once again return back into for example in franchise questions into tackling one installment per episode yeah. So something like, like for example, Mission Impossible, which at this point is, what, seven movies? Yeah. Ish. That could boil down into, like, for example, three episodes. We would go, like, the, the first two, then something, and then, then the rest. Yeah, in, in short, it's going to be more and more about the themes in those episodes and what might yeah. somehow combine those those movies and clear discussion topics, less meandering. Yeah, but perhaps no more five-hour, seven-hour <laughs> episodes in the future. Yeah, you can listen to it on your commute and you will have more episodes per week or per month yeah. or however you want to think about it. Now it's being kind of slow in going up in the episode numbers as well and I look at look back and they I think this is going to be much better for you know our visibility out there for your listeners to get more episodes more engagement and all that so all good especially for you listeners to get easier to listen episodes yeah hopefully hopefully all right if you thought that this content was valuable you can rate us on apple podcasts or Better yet, you can share this episode with a friend of yours, which might be way more valuable for everyone here. A friend of yours who might also be interested in this kind of cinema analysis. And if you insist, we're also available on social media. Uh, the Flick Lab is our handle where you can come and fondle. In the next episode, Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> that, that, that was my sexually aroused dinosaur voice. <laughs> oh my fucking god, this is dinosaurs. Jeez. Alright, put this one in the books, and it was very kind of you, everyone, to join us. Next time, some dino entertainment. Fuck it, Jurassic World. See you in your nightmares. Yeah, until then. Neither the name The Flick Lab nor any other name or character in this podcast is meant to portray a real company, laboratory, or an actual film critic. Any unflattering reference to real events or persons, living or dead, is probably intentional. <laughs>